All right, so uh, we're ready to begin. Um, uh, two weeks ago, last thing I wasn't here, two weeks ago we did the, uh, the introduction to the 19 letters, specifically to the, the, the general world of Rav Hirsch. It's a very, very different lima than Ventura for Life, obviously. Rav Hirsch uh, takes some time to kind of to get into it. Um, he's, he's very different. He's different than the typical, what I would say, Mahalach that we grew up with. Um, and it's also written in German and it's translated, so you know it's, it's, it takes some time to get involved. The, the, the 19 letters, the latest you know edition that everyone has is the Rabbi Joseph Elias is out of print, so I made a few copies. It's also available for free with the old uh, Drachman translation on Safari. So uh, for now, I just made copies, and then we'll, we'll see. We'll try to get some uh, some for next week or something. Sponsorships available. Sponsorships available. Yeah. So. So like we spoke last week, the 19 letters are structured the following. It's, it's, it's uh, all written by Refersh, all 19 of the letters. But uh, the way it's written is as if letter number one was written by someone named Binyamin. And he's writing a letter to his friend Naftali. Naftali is a, is a, is a dear, Hirsch, right? That's Refersh. And he's writing basically a complaint about Judaism. And then the next 18 letters is this rabbi Naftali, Refersh, responding back. Um, there's no letters. This is the only letter that's written by Binyamin, the complaint letter, even though amongst all the other 18 letters, you know, there's like, oh, you responded back to me. Oh, well, you wrote me. You know, as if there's a back and forth. But the truth is, it's one letter of complaint and then 18 letters of response. So the first letter is a complaint. Now, again, because this is written, you know, in the early 1800s, uh, mid-1800s, let's say, let's say uh, 1820s, uh, 30s, um, so he's writing about the problems and challenges of Yiddishkeit that the people in that generation were concerned with. We're dealing here with the era of Haskalah, which leads into reform. And we have, uh, you know, German was uh, obviously the head of reform, Moses Mendelssohn, you know, was there. That's where the Haskalah began and that's where reform begins. Um, by the time of Hirsch is writing this, you know, Germany is falling apart very, very quickly. And, uh, and, and the problems that he's producing here, as he's presenting here, are very different, I think, than a lot of the problems that we have. Right? The, the problems there tend to be on a little bit more of an intellectual level, right? You know, I remember one time we had someone by night say that one of these uh, Aisha Torah um, people came and spoke and like, so he, went around, he, said, he went around the room and he says, everyone ask any question you have you know, about Yiddishkeit. And so like, he was expecting you know, uh, God, how do you say God exists, evolution, this, that. And, like, everyone was basically just asking about like, the Yitzhahara and like, Averis and like, you know, those kinds of questions. It's a, it's a different world today, obviously. Um, but I, and, and the answers obviously are written geared towards these, the specific challenges of his day, but I think we'll find that there's a tremendous amount of relevance that exists to this day. Um, Rav Hirsch's philosophy I find to be almost like a baseline of like all Yiddishkeit, that like if you, you have this foundation, everything else could really be built on top of it. It's like the Aleph base, and then, you know, and if you have a good understanding of it, first of all, it's beautiful in and of itself, and it's uh, something to live your life by. Uh, but even if you have some of the other Malachim, it really, it finds its place, I think, only after you have this, this general understanding of Yiddishkeit. It's really, really fundamental. It's really basic. It's, it's, and as you'll see, Rav Hirsch says this in the second letter, you know, just read the book, you know. There's a book called the Bible, like, read it. This is, it's all there. Okay, so let's start with the challenges and we'll try to, we'll try to knock it off in one day because we don't have to focus so much on it. So again, uh, there's, this, uh, there's this fake encounter between Binyamin and Naftali. 
And he says, after separation of many years, you chanced to travel through the town where I live, and we had the good fortune to meet again for a short fleeting hour. You cannot imagine, my dear Naftali, what interest the subject of our conversation had for me and what interest it still has. Right? So they were schmoozing a little bit by the train, and apparently they started hacking about Yiddishkeit. And so uh, Benjamin writes, you know, I was very, very intrigued. You found me so changed in my religious views, and even more so in my actions and practices. Again, this is a little bit of a precursor, right? Its views are one thing, but actions and practices, that's, that's the most important. Right? And that in spite of your genial, tolerant nature, you cannot hold back the question that spring, right? Since when? Why? Right? Imagine you're friends with a guy in yeshiva, he's a good guy, regular from Yid, and all of a sudden you meet him 10 years later, and like, boom, like, like what happened to you, right? We, we all, we've all had those experiences, right? I recently met someone that I hadn't seen since high school. And like, I mean, he was like a top guy in high school. He was a chashivy, shivish guy. Like I saw him and it was just like, again, nothing bad, but it was just like, you know, that's what happened here. Imagine in Germany, it was so fast, so quick, that it's, it's hard to imagine. I mean, imagine if I told you that in, in 20 years, Lakewood would be 90% fry. I mean, it would be crazy, ludicrous, right? It's absolute crazy. But this is, this is the kind of stuff that happened. I know, it's a different time, different era, but it was really just, it's mind-blowing in terms of what actually happened uh, to, to, to European Jewry. It didn't hit, you know, the Lita until years later. You know, Poland, Lita came, came a little bit later. Um, and by the time World War II, you know, Lithuania was, uh, you know, but, but generally speaking, it was just, it's a pella, Germany, I mean, Frankfurt, the Pnei Yeshua, the Chsam Seifer, the Haflar, Masanada, they all lived there in the 1700s, right? The, the late 1700s. You still had the, the, the greatest, uh, Frankfurt was, right? Okay, the person's not in Frankfurt when he's writing this, he's not the rub there yet. But the provinces of Germany, it was hard to imagine. France, the, the, the countries of the Valley of Taisvis, England, forget about. You know, it's just uh, absolutely crazy. Right? So in response, I gave voice to a whole series of accusations against Judaism, about which my eyes had been opened by reading and coming into contact with the world only after I had left my parents' home and hearth. This is something which I've heard, we'll get back to, and he writes about this in, in other places, and I'll just mention this now. Right? You see, what, what he's doing here is very interesting. He says... He went off to Derech, this guy, right? This guy Ben Yamin, you know, became fry. Why? Because after he left his parents' home, he got exposed to reading and coming into contact with the world, right? So he's reading things, and all of a sudden he reads it. Wow, that's incredible. And, he's, and he goes off, right? And of Hirsch writes, he says, you know, you have like a, a new mother who's very, very concerned about her child, right? She's tadical and nervous about the kid getting sick, right? And so it doesn't let the kid leave the house. So if it leaves the house, puts on 15 coats, gloves, masks, right? Completely, no one's let it go near Right, the germs and Purell and everything, right? And the kid is mamish, amazing, and protected, right? What happens is the kid grows a little older, he walks outside, and he catches a cold, and, and, and then he has no immune system, and he's dead, right? I mean, right? This is, uh, we, have, we saw this after COVID, all these, uh, you know, the thing has been reported, right? That people who are home and, what? Yeah, yeah, exactly, the bubble boy uh, symptoms, uh, syndrome. So, in other words, Rav Hirsch is, is kind of giving a backhanded critique over here, is that if we shelter our children without exposing them to, to ideas of the outside world, of what exists out there, right, and these are realities, right, it's not like, you know, then, you know, the kid will go up and he'll see it for the first time, and then, like, boom, you know what I mean, if, if you know, if, if again, you know, Baruch Hashem, our society, you know, we, we, we do a pretty good job at balancing, but, you know, you, you can imagine, and in certain cultures, you know, where, where completely you can't know anything about evolution and you can't know anything about science and, and then the guy wakes up and all of a sudden he's exposed oh my gosh one second there's some really smart people that say these things he doesn't know how to deal with it and the entire foundation of his education collapses because he had no he had no idea that these days even existed to be able to build up a resistance towards it right so you know that, 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 that's what he's saying here this guy was a child he grew up completely amazing right 
He goes outside, all of a sudden he read a book for the first time, he reads uh, Bialik, he reads uh, Sam Harris, and uh, you know, all, all the Kaifrim, and then like, okay, wow. And, he, and he, you have it these days, you have it, and really it shakes a person. Um, it's important not to take shortcuts. Aaron always talks about taking shortcuts. And, right, he says, like, uh, he talked about it by the internet. He spoke for a term of Sarah. He said, you know, we have this, this, this thing called the internet and we were very nervous about it, very concerned. And so we went out there and saying, trafe, terrible, 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 terrible. Right? It's horrible. It's trafe. You can't have him touch it. It's a muksa, everything, right? And then when you had this COVID, when the internet actually was very, very useful and could have really done, you know, but we, we, we would act ourselves into a corner. We, uh, instead of being a little bit more nuanced and explaining that, you know, maybe a Ben-Tair doesn't do this, or we don't use it unless we need it. Well, you know, taking a nuanced approach, we took a very, very shortcut approach. It's all trafe. And then when the, the time came, like, we were stuck. You know, he says it also like about uh, non-Jews sometimes, right? He says when he, he went to America and he was, he, you know, he used to commute to America a few months, you know, go, so he went back and he was telling his kids how some of the English teachers in, in Silver Spring were non-Jews. So his son, the little Israeli kid, asked him, he said, I don't understand, they don't beat up the boys? Like they don't, right? Like, yeah, when, you, when you're talking about Goyim, as every guy is, is, is Ivan the, the Terrible, right? The Cossack who, right, who wants to kill you. You think the LeBron James likes you, right? He, he would kill you if he could, right? <laughs> some, for some people it's true but right, it's a shortcut because there are some very we all grow up and we meet some very nice people and we end up t- a shortcut ends up you know, uh, you know it has to be nuanced and balanced and, and, uh, because otherwise uh, it, could, it could cause more damage that's what he's saying here right? saying that when he grew up you know, he started reading books and then I said he went off the derech, right? So that's just a little backhanded critique. And there's a lot of that here in the 19 letters. Right? If you read a lot of Rav Hirsch, you see, and this is, it's amazing because Rav Hirsch wrote this when he was so young, in his 20s, and like how consistent he was in so many of these ideas. You see how he developed so many of his philosophies so young in life, which is incredible. Okay, so you listen quietly to my tirade and when I was done, you only replied that you believe that you really understand the concepts which you are attacking. Right? That's a very important, right? It's like you think you understand Yiddishkeit. It's like, you know... What are you talking about? Have you gained by means of honest, earnest investigation an actual understanding in your own mind of something which should at least not be thrust aside thoughtlessly without reflection since it's the holiest and most important matter of life? This is like a classic German sentence, right? Like five lines long. In other words, do you think that you have an understanding of Yiddishkeit, right? Something which requires an understanding and a sensitivity and learning and, right? And then, and that, right? Like, like, uh, like you know, uh, God, who said this? It's a famous story. Matzah Shilas said it over where this guy you know, is in Poland and he wants to go off to Derek. He wants to be an Apikairis. So he starts reading, you know, uh, all the, the, all the kai from all the books by all the atheists. And, uh, and someone told him, if you want to really become a good Apikairis, you have to speak to Maishal of the Apikairis. Right? He, went, he went to Warsaw. Go speak to him. He'll teach you how to be an Apikairis. So he travels to Warsaw and he's looking all over in all the universities and all the pubs and all the salons. Right? Where's Maishal of the Apikairis? Can't find him. And one day he's, it's raining and he ends up running into like some small shul and he sees some guy learning. So he goes, oh, Tim, what's his name? He says, his name is Moshele. He's Moshele Apikaris. He's like, Moshele Apikaris? He says, like, Apikaris. He says oh, I've been looking for you. Can you teach me uh, some kvira? He's like, uh, he's like, what do you know? He says, oh, he says, I read uh, this guy and that book and this book. He's like, he's like, you're not an Apikaris. He says, you're an Amaris. He says, come. He says, learn Gemara, learn Shas and Paiskin, right? And then you'll be, now you can become an Apikaris. He says, if you're an Amaris, you can't be an Apikaris. You, know, you, like, you, know, you have to understand Yiddishkeit. You have all the Tainas on Yiddishkeit, but if your understanding of Yiddishkeit is, 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 is what your second grade Rebbe told you, you, you right? Then, like, then you have no right to sit there and, and, and claim that you're going to reject it. Right? So again, you show me that the only sources of my knowledge were on the one hand, the mechanical practice of parental customs. Right? We grew up, this is what you got to do, without having any depth. And a few poor fragments of Bible and Talmud acquired from Polish Jewish teachers. Right? So this is again a little critique here. Um, little understood, a little digested. 
In other words, a lot of the, and this is one thing that Rav Hirsch was, uh, was also very uh, concerned with, was that a lot of the Rabbeim ended up coming from Poland, right? This is a lot of refugees, and they would come. So the Germans weren't producing, you know, Mechanchim and Rabbeim. And uh, the people that came and taught were, uh, were, were Polish, were again, nothing wrong with Polish people, but they didn't speak to the Germans, they didn't speak, didn't speak the same language, didn't understand their background and their culture, and they were giving over, right? You know, you find, like, you know, after, the, you know, a lot of the Rebbeim were, you know, in the, in, the, in the day schools and the Chadarim in the early days in America were, like, you know, European immigrants, they were the only ones that were Rebbeim. Some of them were amazing, they did very well, but, like, at the end of the day, there's a tremendous divide, right? And if the people that are teaching you are uh, are uh, are not speaking your language. It's it's very difficult, you know. Uh, you know, you have to have a pure, true tire. We can't just be, you know, uh, you know, speaking to the people and, and lower ourselves to their level. But it has to, you know, the teachers have to be. And the first was very busy English also. He's like the secular studies has to be taught by Eurasian mind people that have the right perspective on it, you know. So a uh, little understood, right? And on the other hand, Christian writers, modern Jewish reformers of our faith, and right? So again, you're reading a lot of non-Jewish materials, and above all, that view of life which our present age has produced, whose chief purpose and goal is, the only, is only the suppression of the inner voice of conscience in favor of external demands of comfort and ease. Again, I've heard dealing here with a lot of the French philosophers, these ideas of like imminent contentment, Right, that uh, anything other than right here, right now, what I you know, what I need to enjoy, a very nonchalance. Don't take anything seriously. It's all about just you know, bourgeois kind of you know, anti-nobility. Nobility had a certain you know perspective on life, the nobility, and I liked that. Very that, that was the philosophers back then, and and very very just here and now. Let's enjoy life. Let's you know, even intellectually, not just time. I'm not talking about like an American the concept of, of enjoying life. Right, but that's the idea, the idea that there's something outside, that there's a neshama, that there's a future, that there's a destiny, that there, these things are like, no, what are you talking about, right? That's, that's, not, uh, that's, that's, that's not important to us. So again, so again, the point is, you're an Amaretz. Anything you know about Yiddishkeit comes from sources which are really not, uh, not okay, either some Polish people that you don't really understand, non-Jews, or just the general culture. Again, if we can put it into our own uh, terms today, right? The, how much of Yiddishkeit is coming to us from you know, uh, from, from, from sources, our whole view of life, the American idea of life, American values, is certainly makes an impact on us. And that, that changes the way we view things, you know. I, you know, Rabbi uh, is not here, so I can, I can poke fun at the whole, like, emotional, thank you Hashem movement, right, which is a very emotional-based, love-based, which is not really necessarily a Jewish uh, thing, per se, right? The whole idea of, of you, know, you know, love, and it's all about... It, that's, you know, we get influenced by a lot of what our society is and a lot of the, the, the geschmack and enjoyment of life, which is, again, very American apple pie kind of thing. We have to know, is, the, are these, is this Jewish? And is our perspective of Yiddishkeit being tainted by ideas around us? I was forced to confess how insufficient my knowledge was and I begged you for instruction, for guidance, and for education. Right, I agreed, you're right, I, I don't know anything. But the coachman called, right, and invited me goodbye, right, so the train was ready to leave. So you yelled out, in writing, right, write to me. So, my dear Naftali, you have made me uncertain and distrustful of the views I held until now, but you didn't refute them, right? You just, you just basically told me that I don't know what I'm talking about, but you didn't give me an answer. Okay? I'm therefore taking advantage of your kind permission and will repeat to you in writing several of my arguments, not for the purpose of defending my role, but for my sincere desire for better information and guidance. Which is also, by the way, a key point, right? If, if you're not interested in changing, then you just... Right? That's why so much of like, you know, Ravaran said this over once. I forgot who it was. It was someone that was speaking to like one of these professors, one of these evolution challenges. And they tell him, he says, if I can prove to you, right, that I'm right and you're wrong, are you, are you going to change your life? Are you going to become from, 
I was like, probably not. I was like, okay, so then we're just wasting our time, right? So much of what we're talking about when we engage in these topics is just academic. It's just hacking, right? No, there's no lishma. The idea of lishma, learning something and actually having it impact your life is so foreign to people, right? You read about things, but are you actually implementing it, right? So again, this, in order to actually understand something and absorb it and, and appreciate it and actually live it, it has to be that you're learning it because you actually want to understand, right? You can't just learn something you know, life has to be, refresh rice, the beginning of Chayr, right? Life should be the flower of knowledge. Knowledge is the root, and life is coming out of that knowledge, right? But you, you, you have to actually relate to that knowledge. You have to have your life be an outgrowth of that knowledge. Otherwise, it's just academic, right? You can know things, but you're not actually living by them, and that's just a waste of everyone's time. Okay, should we do a little bit more? Yeah, keep going. Okay, so his first challenge is the following. Every religion, I believe, should bring man nearer to his true purpose. Okay, premise number one, religion should bring man to his true purpose. What is that? This purpose, what else can it be but the attainment of happiness and perfection? Okay, and again, this is his premise. Religion should bring people happiness and perfection. What is perfection? Perfection means, you know, success. You see someone who creates something who's, you know, wow, look at this guy, right? And happiness, right? Happiness, we all want to be happiness, the pursuit of happiness. Again, this is a very, very... Rav Hirsch is going to challenge these premises in the, in, in, in the next letter, but we'll get to it. Yet, if we measure Judaism by these criteria, what utterly depressing results we do obtain. To what sort of happiness does Judaism lead its loyal followers? From time immemorial, misery and slavery have been their lot, right? This guy does not make people happy. They have been misunderstood or despised by the other nations. And while the rest of mankind has ascended to the summit of culture, attaining prosperity and fortune, the adherents of Judaism have always remained poor in everything which makes human beings great and noble and which beautifies and dignifies existence. All right, so again, not necessarily challenges that we feel that we sympathize with today, right? The idea of, you know, nowadays we, Baruch Hashem, we can, we can uh, have our cake and eat it too, right? We can, uh, right? We can, we can be from Elche, from Yidin, and also, uh, you know, be successful. But again, at that point, we didn't have religious freedom in the same way, when the, the gates of the university were closed off, and, right? Yiddishkeit made people miserable, right? Yiddishkeit, this is, this is terrible. We're getting, we're getting murdered, pogromed, killed, right? We're getting taxed, we're getting treated like garbage, no one likes us, no one, everyone is, right? We're like the dreb. We can't be part of what makes societies great. Look at, look at Look at Germany. Look what a great country this is with uh, Beethoven and, uh, and, and all the greats, you know, and then the culture and the science and the Einsteins. This is incredible, right? The Torah law itself forbids every enjoyment, right? So life is supposed to be enjoyable and happy. You can't, anything good you can't enjoy. It's a hindrance to all pleasures of life. Moreover, for 2,000 years we've been tossed around by others like a plaything, like a bouncing ball. And we are even at this time banished from all paths of happiness. Even here when, you know, uh, we're starting this, you know, the, 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 uh, the uh, what's it called again? The, um, what's the word I'm looking for? The emancipation of the ghetto. and the Jews are allowed. Still, at the end of the day, right, what happens in Germany is, Right? A lot of Jews became fry, right, to reform. But you know what a lot of them did? A lot of them became Christian. I mean, a great many. I mean, Mendelssohn's uh, grandchildren, uh, I mean, children and grandchildren, all Christian, right? They all, they all converted. Because at the end of the day, as enlightened as Germany was, at the end of the day, a Jew was still a third-class citizen. As for perfecting our human qualities, what cult, right? So what's perfection? Is that human qualities of intellect, of beauty, right? That's, that's perfection. What culture? What conquest in the domain of science, art, or invention? In a word, what great achievements have Jews wrought in comparison with the Egyptians, Phoenicians, Greeks, Romans, Italians, French, English, or Germans? What do we have, do we have to show for ourselves? Right? Okay, let's, uh, let's stop here, and uh, we'll continue this letter uh, next week. So again, just to review, um, 
his tainas and Yiddishkeit are, if, if, if religion is supposed to bring happiness and perfection, Judaism does not seem to add up. And again, um, and, the, and, and again, just, just the, uh, just the, right? Just the, the, the basic introduction is this Binyamin is complaining to Naftali, right? And, he's, and it's the two points that we added is number one, you have to understand something before you start critiquing it, right? You can't claim to reject Yiddishkeit if you don't know what Yiddishkeit is. And then that little side point that we threw in there is that, um, is that to, to be completely closed off without any exposure to ideas if your child's going to grow up and be exposed to it then it's an obligation of a parent to make sure that, uh, that, uh, that your child has the tools to be able to deal with it that doesn't mean that you have to you know, send you, teach your child kfira and whatever yeah, there's a way to do it but that they should understand that these things exist don't completely you know, cover it over because then you know, once they get older uh, they won't be able to deal with it alright we'll continue next week thank you